We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show. And, of course, in the uh, <laughs> April showers mean May flowers. Oh, yeah, right. We're waiting. It's supposed to uh, actually happen uh, perhaps uh, later on this weekend. Maybe a break in all of this. Hmm. We'll see. Of course, there's lots of things uh, in the wind these days that uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens. My name's Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show. And we are featuring music on the all the features this month. Uh, is music that... Uh, existed and was recorded in the early 70s, and it reflected some of the changes in jazz music that were taking place um, in the early 70s. And of course, these recordings are valid to this day because uh, they have influenced uh, the sound of jazz. But there was lots of things taking place. There was the um, influence of, of rock music, which was um, during the late 60s and early 70s, had evolved um, immeasurably with artists like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, um, all, the Jefferson Airplane, all those bands, the, um, the Cream, uh, bands like that. And, of course, uh, jazz musicians were listening, and, and um, very soon um, more guitars were brought into the mix, and electronic instruments, such as uh, synthesizers, electric pianos, electric basses, etc., etc., and a change in some of the formats of the music, too. Um, musicians, jazz musicians, began looking uh, away from the sort of accepted norms and, and uh, listening to um, music from other cultures and seeing what, what could be brought in. Uh, jazz music has always absorbed music from other cultures right from the beginning. And uh, the 70s was, uh, the early 70s was a particularly fertile time for that to happen. Uh, the critics, of course, like to categorize music and make it simple for people. And they, they called a lot of the new music fusion. And, and that's a, a very simple, simple minded term uh, that most musicians avoided. And uh, um, they simply called it uh, modern music. Tonight, uh, the first, um, of course, and one of the foremost musicians that uh, moved the music forward was Miles Davis. And uh, because of his music changing and evolving, uh, he, of course, being the great influence that he is, uh, other people started listening to Miles and see what they could take from what Miles was doing. So we heard Miles first, and then we heard Weather Report, which was um, somewhat an outgrowth of uh, Miles Davis's band, and of course the magnificent genius mind of Joe Zavinal and Wayne Shorter, who kept uh, Weather Report going for uh, over 16 years, one of the most important bands in modern jazz history. Chick Corea was another musician, and he's our jazz feature artist this evening. Mr. Chameleon. Chick Corea can play anything, any style, 
And of course, he um, was an acoustic pianist, but he also uh, became an expert in electronic instruments as well, synthesizers, um, uh, all sorts of uh, different electronic components. But he was a master of the Fender Rhodes piano, which became very popular, and so many musicians began recording on the the portable Fender Rhodes piano. You could pack it up and carry it with you. You didn't have to worry. And um, set it up, plug it in, away you go. Um, A lot of great musicians played the Fender Rhodes, and while they they may have been very distinctive stylists on the acoustic piano, the Fender Rhodes seemed to... um, almost make everyone sound very similar and except certain exceptions. Chick Corea was one of them. His touch on the Fender Rhodes piano was absolutely unique and uh, in my mind he was probably one of the finest exponents of that instrument. He really established his own individual approach on the electric piano and we'll hear him tonight. Uh, on that instrument, the Fender Rhodes electric piano. What we're playing tonight is, uh, well, as I mentioned before, Chick Corea had, had played with all kinds of people. He, he had just come out of Miles Davis's band playing uh, the Fender Rhodes piano mostly, and uh, he then went back to acoustic piano and formed a band called Circle. They were a very short-lived band, but it was a very adventurous band. Uh, David Holland, uh, the bassist, had just quit, uh, left Miles amicably, and um, was involved in the band Circle, as well was a very creative drummer by the name of Barry Altschul. And the horn player was the innovative game-changer Anthony Braxton who, of course, played a myriad of instruments, every, every possible saxophone, um, from the sopranino right to the contrabass saxophone. He played them all, uh, as well as flute and clarinet. So he was the uh, reed voice in Circle, and that band had a very unfortunate, um, short-lived uh, existence, They made one recording for ECM. It was a concert recording done in Paris. And uh, it's quite a wonderful uh, uh, recording, and it's too bad the band didn't last longer. However, Chick Corea made the move and decided to leave the band. And, of course, that effectively broke up Circle. Chick Corea had something else in mind. He wanted to form another style band. And that was a band called Return to Forever. And they combined a lot of music uh, from Brazil, not just the, uh, the gently swaying bossa nova rhythms, but the rhythms of the, of the samba and um, uh, rhythms of um, African Brazilians and uh, um, flamenco music, and bring all of that into, into a band. And yet Return to Forever was very, very accessible music. Um, it really was open, it was spacey and lyrical. And uh, this is what we're 
featuring this evening, the band Return to Forever. This is an iconic album. Uh, there's a little bit of an ironic story with this album. It was recorded in February of 1972, and it wasn't released in North America until 1975. It was put out on ECM records, and of course it had been heard uh, in Europe, and, and uh, people were talking about it and saying, but couldn't buy it because it wasn't available um, for some reason in the United States and, and North America. However, uh, once it was released in North America, it became one of the, one of the, the iconic albums of the 1970s. And it was called simply Return to Forever. That was the official name of the band. Uh, so we hear Chick Corea on electric piano, the great late Joe Farrell, who plays uh, played a variety of instruments. He was basically known as a great tenor saxophonist, but here he's heard only on flute and soprano saxophone. And, of course, he sounds beautiful on those instruments. Who's a vocalist. She essentially does wordless vocals, and she's from Brazil. Her name is Flora Purim, and she is the wife of the drummer and percussionist in this band, Erto Moriera. And on bass is the phenomenal bassist Stanley Clark, who has heard both on acoustic and electric bass. So that's the personnel of the band. And this album is kind of a beautiful cover with a, a seagull and a ocean, everything on the, on, on the cover. And it kind of, it, it's a, a nice picture of what this music is all about. And I think you'll find it uh, not only deep, but very accessible as well. So there's only four tunes on here, uh, and they're written by Chick Corea and arranged by him. And we begin with the title track. It's called simply Return to Forever. Second tune is entitled Crystal Silence. Tune number three is entitled What Game Shall We Play Today? And tune number four is a combination of two movements, Some Time Ago and La Fiesta. And, of course, as I said before, these compositions are by Mr. Armando Chick Corea. Once again, the personnel, Chick Corea, electric piano, Joe Farrell on flute and soprano saxophone, Flora Purim on vocals and percussion, Stanley Clark on electric and acoustic bass, and Erto Moriera on drums and percussion, and our jazz feature this evening, Return to Forever.
Cheers. 
And that was our jazz feature, the band Return to Forever, led by pianist and composer Chick Corea. This was all recorded in uh, February of 1972. The band had just come together and went into uh, the recording studio in New York City and recorded this for ECM Records. And for some mysterious reason, I don't know the whole story, uh, it wasn't issued in North America until 1975. It was issued, of course, in Europe because ECM is a, uh, a label based in Europe, uh, but not uh, for some reason it wasn't issued in North America, and yet it was recorded in New York. When it was issued in North America, it became one of the iconic recordings of the 70s and, of course, um, one of the most widely listened to bands. Chicoria managed to combine the disciplines of Brazilian music um, from bossa nova to, um, to the samba to Af- Afro-Brazilian rhythms and also flamenco music and uh, all that kind of stuff, of course, as you heard. And, of course, the, the music had a lot of breathing space and and uh, was really, um, in many ways, rather gentle and, and lyrical, and yet it was very deep as well. This was a um, really marvelous band that, uh, that Chick had put together. He had, um, of course, become one of the most distinctive voices on the Fender Rhodes electric piano, and, and he played that exclusively here. And it fit in so well with the sound of the band, which included, of course, uh, the vocalist and percussionist Flora Purim and her husband, Erto Moriera, who played drums and percussion, and, of course, Joe Farrell on various flutes and soprano saxophone, and on bass, the amazing young bassist who was just um, coming on the scene, Stanley Clark, and he was heard on uh, both electric bass and acoustic double bass. The album consisted of, of only four compositions, all written by Chick Corea. We opened with the title track entitled Return to Forever. And, of course, that was the name of the band as well. Uh, the second piece of music was entitled Crystal Silence. And then um, a delightful kind of a lighthearted piece of music uh, written by Chick called What Game Shall We Play Today? And the final tune combined two compositions by uh, Mr. Correa, Some Time Ago and La Fiesta. And that made up the almost 47 minutes of this uh, wonderful album, Return to Forever. So I certainly hope you enjoyed the music. And uh, we shall return with... Uh, some different style of jazz in a few moments. Just like to tell you, my name's Gavin Walker. This is The Jazz Show, broadcasting from CITR FM 101.9 on your FM dial or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we have a couple of announcements, and we'll be right back. We don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem. Mass evictions. Mass rent evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? 
If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca. Hub Cycling is hosting Bike to Shop Days. On June 22nd to June 24th, come out and get advice on the gear and techniques that allow you to easily use your bike for shopping trips. There will be route mats for shopping, celebration stations, which have info, snacks, and free bike tune-ups, discounts at local shops around Metro Vancouver, a passport challenge where participants collect stamps at celebration stations to win prizes, guided rides, and riding to local stores to show support. Check out bikehub.ca for more information. All right, we are back, and we're going to get into the music of one of my favorite Hammond organists by the name of Don Patterson, the late, great Don Patterson. This is a recording that came out on Muse Records, and Don put together a wonderful band, including the wonderful, he's known actually for his clarinet playing exclusively now, but of course he's a master saxophonist. I'm talking about Eddie Daniels. And we're going to hear him on tenor saxophone, um, on soprano saxophone, and on alto saxophone uh, on each of the three pieces that we're going to listen to. And, of course, the late, wonderful Ted Dunbar on guitar, Freddie Waits on drums, and, of course, Don Patterson. Don was born... Uh, in July, on July 22nd, 1936, and died on October, 2nd of October, 1988. Far too young, and he certainly made his mark on the Hammond organ, and this album came out on Muse Records called The Genius of the B3, and we're going to hear three tunes. The first one was written by Don Patterson, dedicated to the great country preacher, and it's called simply Jesse Jackson. The second tune is a tune I think that everybody should know, uh, especially your TV watchers, um, especially those of you that like to watch uh, old TV shows. Neil Hefty wrote the second tune as the theme from The Odd Couple. Remember that show? It was a great show. And the third tune is one of my favorite compositions. It was written by bassist Jimmy Garrison, and the tune is called Lori. So here then, the Hammond organ stylings of the great Don Patterson. And we begin with Jesse Jackson. Thank you. 
The genius of the B3. That was Don Patterson on the Hammond organ leading this uh, ensemble with uh, Eddie Daniels, heard first uh, on the first tune on tenor saxophone, on the second tune on soprano, and on the last tune that we just heard on alto saxophone. Eddie, of course, um, is now exclusively a clarinet player and considered to be one of the best in the world, Eddie Daniels. On guitar, uh, Ted Dunbar. On bass, Freddie Waits. And, of course, Don Patterson. Uh, The first tune was written by Don, and it was dedicated to the country preacher and entitled Jesse Jackson. The second tune, of course, was a very famous tune written by Neil Hefty, and it was the theme from The Odd Couple, one of the great uh, funny TV shows in TV history. Theme from The Odd Couple. The third tune was written by bassist Jimmy Garrison, and it was entitled Lori. So so three tunes from this uh, Muse album called The Genius of the B3, Don Patterson. You are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we'll be right back with something uh, rather special. Uh, the last time I played this was uh, on the show was many, many years ago. I'm not going to tell you what it is till, uh we hear the, these messages. My name's Gavin Walker, and this is The Jazz Show. I certainly hope that you're enjoying it so far, and we've got a whole lot more to play until well after midnight, as we usually do every Monday night right here at CITR. We'll be back. On Sunday, May 6th, participate and fundraise in the Vancouver Investors Group Walk for Alzheimer's. It's a fun and family-friendly event that sends a message of inclusion and hope to the estimated 70,000 British Columbians living with dementia and the people who care for them. The Vancouver Walk will take place at Creekside Community Recreation Center at 12 p.m. To learn more about how you can join us and create a movement, visit www.walkforalzheimers.ca. Vancouver, together, we make memories matter. The Effort Conference is a student-run initiative presented by the UBC Undergrad Association at UBC's Social Justice Institute that is entering its ninth year being hosted on UBC Vancouver campus. The Effort Conference is a day-long conference and includes presentations from students, community organization workshops, free meals, and keynote speeches while providing a venue for feminist scholars, students, and community members to learn each other's skills, knowledges, and experiences. Each year, all attendees are provided with free access to workshops and student panels related to social justice as well as a free lunch. This year's Effort Conference will be held on April 28th in the AMS Nest.
Hmm. Well, our weather is, uh, <laughs> well, we all know what the weather has been like. It's not really going to change up too much this week. But uh, there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, um, possibly on Sunday, maybe uh, starting a bit of a stretch that uh, we all deserve some sunshine here. This has been a long stretch for rain here in Vancouver. Someone said it was the second longest uh, in recorded history, so who knows? Probably. Anyway, rain is, uh, <laughs> rain is ending this evening. Then it's going to be mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower. So that means intermittent rain uh, with a low of 6. Tomorrow is going to be mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of shower off and on in the morning and in the afternoon, with a low of 6 and a high of 11. Wednesday is cloudy, with a, only a 30% chance of a shower, with a low of 6 and a high of 12. And Thursday is just cloudy, with a low of 3 and a high of 12. Friday, back to periods of rain, with a low of 7 and high of 13. And Saturday is cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower with a low of 7 and a high of 12. And then Sunday, there may be a breakthrough, a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 5 and a high of 13. So there you be, the weather. All right. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional unceded Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Stan Kenton was one of the iconic band leaders in the history of jazz music. Uncompromising gentleman, uh, kept a big band going for, for many years, and was uh, definitely someone who, in many ways, advanced the music. Of course, Kenton was not above criticism. Um, some people found his band to be loud, too loud, and stiff, didn't swing, when compared to bands like Ellington, Basie, Woody Herman, uh, and other bands. But Kenton um, always looked to... Um, bring in composers and arrangers and put forth uh, a, a long body of really uncompromising, quite incredible music. And of course, to play this music, he had to hire many, many of the best musicians on the planet, which he did. And um, he was really a, a, a benevolent uh, band leader, took care of his guys, and, uh, and uh, females as well, um, uh, mostly um, uh, singers. But um, Kenton was, uh, well, these band leaders that, that over the years led these big bands, they were really unique human beings. Woody, Woody Herman, Stan Kenton, uh, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, um, they kept these bands going for a long, long time, and basically lived their life on the road, always traveling, always moving around. Anyway, Kenton, uh, of course, made uh, a ton of recordings, and I've always liked this this piece uh, that we're going to listen to, and then we're going to hear a few uh, really swinging uh, Stan Kenton um, 
instrumental pieces with one of his best bands uh, containing my favorite big band drummer or my favorite Stan Kenton big band drummer. That was Stan Levy. And um, this particular edition of the band had some really wonderful people in it. Conti Condoli, uh, Montreal-born Maynard Ferguson, um, uh, Buddy Childers uh, in the trumpet section, the great Frank Rossellino on trombone, um, Lee Konitz on alto saxophone, the great uh, Mexican tenor saxophonist Richie Kamuka, Bill Holman, of course, who wrote a lot of the arrangements, uh, and as I mentioned, uh, Stan Levy on, on drums, keeping the band really swinging. And um, this was a great edition of the Canton Orchestra. We're going to listen to this piece of music. It's called Prologue. This is an orchestra. And it's a, a, a neat kind of piece. And we hear the voice of Stan Kenton narrating this. And the music was composed by one of his chief arrangers, Bill Russo. And we're going to follow that with three pieces um, by the Stan Kenton Orchestra. Portrait of a Count, which was uh, featuring Conti Condoli. That was his nickname, and uh, Count. And um, then we're going to hear two wonderful Jerry Mulligan uh, arrangements and compositions, Young Blood and Swing House. So here then is the voice and the orchestra of the one and only Stan Kenton. This is an orchestra a group of musicians gathered together because of a belief in a particular music. Like all orchestras, this organization is unique in that the artistic ideal is far more important than personal differences. These musicians, for this instance, came from all corners of America. The character of the music to follow is the result of their understanding and adjustment to each other. Some of this music is written, some is improvised. There are times when a musician will express his individuality and other moments when he will melt with the rest to create an organized sound. This is a cross-section view of this orchestra. Some musicians love to create sounds of percussion. They like to melt them with the melody. They have the ability to bring to life strong rhythmic swing and pour it into others. That's a rhythm section. Takes a bass player. Ours, Don Bagley. Another guy, he loves a melody just as he loves a beat. A guitar player, Sal Salvador. Another, a strong determined will, continued spirit. A great obligation to the beat. A drummer, Stan Levy. Some musicians are not content just to play an instrument in an orchestra. This guy arranges, he composes, he wants to be a leader. Someday he will, Bill Russo. A young guy, Keith Moon. 
Some musicians have a zest for happy excitement. This fellow has few, if any, quiet, moody moments. His trombone playing is an honest reflection of himself. Frank Rossellino. necessary to an orchestra is the constant presence of young musicians with their eager enthusiasm that are just getting started. Guys like trumpeters Reuben McFall and Don Dennis. An orchestra needs good first chairmen. They're like sergeants to an army. They've studied, they know how, they help their men and they show how, like our first saxophone player, Vinnie Dean. saxophone of Bill Holman playing now. He represents a talent that is discontented with music of the present. He's anxious over the future. He writes, he orchestrates too. Within the group of personalities that make up an orchestra, it's also necessary that we have guys that are, are willing to be happy and swing at the drop of a hat. Richie Kamuka. asset to any group like this is the presence of versatility, a musician capable of creating all moods. At the moment, warm, melting, personal sounds. Connie Condoli. Within any group of musicians, you'll find men who are in constant study. It seems that perfection is not enough. They want even more. They're intent on achieving greater heights. Fellows like Lee Konitz. <laughs> Then there's a baritone saxophone, but in the case of this instrument, I'd like to be personal. The 
fellow playing here has been a part of every sound since this orchestra began, Bob Gioga. first trumpet player besides his schooling technique and experience must possess wonderful physical stamina they're sometimes referred to as workhorses meet ours buddy childers <laughs> A bass trombone is the bottom of an orchestra. Wait a minute, George Roberts. I said bottom. That's better. A first trombone can take black notes from dead paper and bring wonderful life to them. Meet ours, Bob Burgess. and we're lucky because we have one capable of stirring great feelings of fire. Maynard Ferguson. I'm Stan Kenton. I'm the piano player and I'm the leader. The guys call me the old man. They look to me for many things, a plan, final decisions, encouragements, and oh yes, another thing, money. With high regard and respect for each other's individuality, the ingredients in the variety of a group of personalities can make a music wide in scope. From tender, soft sounds to screaming, crashing Christmas, this is an orchestra!
So music by the great band leader Stan Kenton. We opened with uh, a piece of music where he introduces everybody in the band and their place in the band and the philosophy of an orchestra and all that sort of stuff. It's a great piece. Um, I've always liked it. And uh, um, I remember bringing it to uh, many, many years ago. I had the uh, 10-inch record, and I brought it to a a class, a music class, um, to uh, check out as an introduction to... uh, to jazz. Uh, the music teacher uh, <laughs> wasn't too sympathetic with jazz, but uh, uh, at least he allowed me to do it. And uh, the class seemed to like it, which was kind of cool because uh, they were all kids, and, and uh, as I was. And so it was kind of interesting um, to see the reaction. And uh, I, I was hoping that the reaction would be good, and it was. Anyway, we heard prologue. This is an orchestra. And the arrangement was by uh, of the music was by one of Stan's chief arrangers, Bill Russo. And, of course, he went through all the members of the band and what all that kind of stuff, too. So I'm sure you heard some familiar names uh, in that uh, dialogue by Stan Kenton. And the f- first um, piece of music we played was another Bill Russo arrangement called Portrait of a Count. And that featured the great trumpeter, Conti Condoli whose nickname was Count, nothing to do with Count Basie. And uh, then we heard uh, the first of two Jerry Mulligan compositions and arrangements. Um, The first one was entitled Young Blood, and uh, that featured uh, some swinging uh, solos. And the second piece of music was actually based on Sweet Georgia Brown, and that was called Swing House, and that featured uh, Frank Rossellino on trombone and Lee Konitz on alto saxophone. So, um, the music of one of the great big band innovators, Stanley Newcomb Kenton, Stan Kenton, and his very swinging orchestra with all these great people, and uh, of course, um, really propelled by one of my favorite big band drummers. He, I loved him in a small group as well, Stan Levy. And uh, he somehow managed to swing this big behemoth of a band. And uh, it's pretty tough on a drummer to, uh, to do that with uh, uh, Stan's arrangements and just his ideas. All right, Stan Kenton. And that's from an album called New Concepts in Artistry and Rhythm. We're going to move to some really fine small group jazz right now with one of the great drummers who is still with us. He's 93 years old <laughs> and still playing, still gigging, and still uh, a character. He's one of the most innovative drummers in the history of jazz. I'm talking about Roy Haynes, Mr. Snap Crackle. And we're going to hear um, a little band that he um, had back in the 60s. This is a recording of that little band featuring the great, one of my favorite tenor saxophonists and one of Charles Mingus's favorites, Booker Irvin on tenor saxophone. On piano, Ronnie Matthews. On bass, Larry Ridley. And of course, on drums, leading the whole ensemble, Roy Haynes. We're going to hear two pieces of music. The first piece is called Dorian. And it's uh, written by pianist Ronnie Matthews. And the second piece is uh, Ronnie's arrangement 
of um, an old tune called Under Paris Skies. And um, just listen to the creative drumming that uh, Roy Haynes does on, on that, well, on both pieces, but especially on uh, Under Paris Skies. Uh, amazing, absolutely amazing, and uh, nobody does it like uh, Roy Haynes. This is from a, presti- or a new jazz album called Cracklin'. And, of course, his nickname, Mr. Snap Crackle. So here, then, the first piece, Dorian.
Mr. Snap Crackle, the great Roy Haynes, who is still very much with us, 93 years old, and he's, he's still playing like that, too. Um, <laughs> amazing musician. Longevity. And we heard him here from a 1963 recording for New Jazz Records with his uh, working band of the time with the late, great Booker Irvin on tenor saxophone, Ronnie Matthews on piano, and Larry Ridley on bass. And we heard two compositions. The first one was called Dorian, written by pianist Ronnie Matthews. And the second tune was a Ronnie Matthews arrangement of uh, an old French song entitled Under Paris Skies. And, of course, it showed the uh, absolute creativity of uh, Roy Haynes' drumming uh, on that particular piece. And the whole, uh, both of those um, pieces, uh, lovely, from this uh, album called Cracklin' by Roy Haynes and uh, Mr. Snap Crackle. Yeah, that's what they call him. You are listening to The Jazz Show. My name is Gavin Walker, and of course we're broadcasting on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And I'd just like to mention two uh, great websites to uh, check out if you haven't done so already. One of them, of course, is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, and these are the people that bring you the big jazz festival this year. Many, many of the shows are already announced. They're out there to peruse and choose and uh, take your pick as to uh, what you want to hear. Some fabulous artists coming to Vancouver this summer for the Jazz Festival. So you can make your bookings now. You can buy your tickets and uh, make your decisions. Very easy to get on the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, and that's coastaljazz.ca. So you can find all of that out. And, of course, it's a very comprehensive website. You can uh, also check out the schedule at Frankie's Jazz Club, which is down on Beattie Street. That's um, programmed by Corey Weeds, of course, who ran the cellar and, uh, for so many years, 13 years, and, of course, is one of our finest musicians. Um, Corey, of course, has great taste in music and, and programs the music at Frankie's. And you can get on to uh, the Coastal Jazz website and check out the uh, schedule uh, at Frankie's and find out who you'd like to listen to, book a table or... Um, book for your party or your group or whatever. Uh, you can do all of that stuff online, and it's very easy. Make reservations, all that sort of stuff. So do check it out. That's coastaljazz.ca. And, of course, the other fine website is vancouverjazz.com. And uh, that's all organized and um, supervised and administered by my old friend Brian Nation, who, uh, of course, is an eternal uh, lover of music and jazz, and um, he uh, conducts that particular website. There's all kinds of interesting links on that website as well. That's VancouverJazz.com and CoastalJazz.ca. And, of course, uh, there's fine music in a couple of clubs here in Vancouver, in Kitsilano, of course, the Blue Martini. You can always check the uh, uh, schedule for there, they're down on uh, on U Street, 
and in right in the heart of uh, Kitsilano. And, of course, uh, the wonderful Pat's Pub every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 7, some of the finest jazz in the country at Pat's Pub in the historic Patricia Hotel on Vancouver's downtown east side. And the admission there is zero. There's no cover. And you can uh, nurse um, a Coke, a beer, whatever you want. And there's great food as well if you're uh, hungry and want to uh, check out the, uh, the food menu and just sit back. The acoustics are great down there and lots of parking and you're really safe down there as well. A lot of people sort of say, downtown east side, oh, no, no, I wouldn't go there if you paid me. Well, uh, it's actually okay. And uh, the Patricia Hotel is, and Pat's Pub is quite a wonderful place. Anyway, that's every Saturday from 3 to 7. All right. You, we're going to play five of the very first recordings that were ever issued by one of the most famous jazz labels, and that's Prestige Records. Um, I believe their original name was New Jazz, but then they changed it to Prestige, and then they brought the New Jazz name back. Anyway, uh, I guess we can call it Prestige New Jazz. But these are among the very first recording sessions. Um, They were supervised by a gentleman who had no training in, in running a record label. Most of the great uh, producers of and owners of jazz record labels really had no previous training. They were fans first, and uh, they loved the music and, and spent most of their time um, going out to clubs and, and listening to uh, um, groups and, and, and different musicians. And I'm talking about people like um, Oren Keep News and Alfred Lyon, who ran Blue Note Records, and Mr. Keep News ran Riverside and Jazzland Records, and the gentleman who owned Prestige Records and did all the supervising, especially in the early days, Bob Weinstock. And as I said, these guys, you know, really had no training. in. Uh, they just wanted to preserve the music, uh, perhaps break even, and um, just put it out there. And we really have to thank all of these gentlemen because um, they they did such an incredible job documenting some very, very important music. So the first recordings that were done for Prestige Records, the fledgling label, fledgling label <laughs> were by pianist Lenny Tristano. Lenny was one of the great innovators of jazz, had his sort of own school of uh, musicians that worked with him. Um, He was really his own individual school of music. Um, He, of course, um, had the respect of of people like Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and and so on, but they respected Lenny as uh, someone who was just as much of an innovator as they were. And uh, Tristano was uh, an amazing musician, considering he was... um, He was blind and a virtuoso piano player and composer. So this is his group featuring one of his accolades, alto saxophonist Lee Konitz. Lee Konitz was the first modern alto saxophonist to not play like Charlie Parker. 
<laughs> Lee Konitz was a definite departure from Charlie Parker's style of playing because Charlie dominated the whole scene. Lee Konitz was asked one time how how he uh, why he he, he uh, established so early in his career his individual style. He said, "Well, I wanted to play like Charlie Parker, but I couldn't, so I became Lee Konitz." That's the way Lee uh, answered that question. Anyway, he's fabulous on this recording. Of course, Lenny, Lenny Tristano, as I mentioned, on piano. Billy Bauer on guitar. Uh, Arnold Fishkin on bass. And the great Shelley Mann on drums. So we're going to hear the first five tunes recorded by Prestige Records. The first one is a composition by Lee Konitz entitled Progression. Uh, the second one is uh, another Konitz composition called Tautology. Um, Piece number three is a Lenny Tristano composition called Retrospection. Uh, Two number four is a Tristano composition entitled Judy, dedicated to his wife at the time. And two number five is a Lee Konitz composition based on the old standard, What is This Thing Called Love? And he called it Subconscious Lee. So here then, the first five tunes that put Prestige Records on the map. Thank you. 
Those were the first five recordings ever done by Prestige Records. That was the beginning of the label. All of this stuff was recorded January 11th, 1949 in New York City. And it featured a group um, actually led by Lenny Tristano on piano and featuring, of course, uh, one of his main acolytes, Lee Konitz on alto saxophone, Billy Bauer on guitar, Arnold Fishkin on bass, and the great Shelley Mann on drums. And we heard uh, five compositions. The first one uh, was a Lee Konitz composition called Progression. Then we moved to a, another uh, a Tristano composition called Tautology. And then uh, two Tristano uh, compositions. Retrospection was tune number three. Uh, Judy was tune number four, and back to uh, Lee Konitz's composition called Subconscious Lee was the uh, final tune. 
So that was uh, an auspicious start for uh, Prestige Records. And, uh, of course, the label went on to become one of the uh, most um, prominent jazz labels of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and continues to this day. They did so much classic stuff. The next piece of music we're going to hear features a couple of great Canadian musicians. On piano, a lesser-known musician, but an extremely fine pianist, um, who's kind of been in the shadows the last few years, but a very respected musician, Fred Henke on piano. On bass, uh, a gentleman who originally is from Victoria, lived in Vancouver, and then headed for Toronto, where he now lives, and of course is one of the bass players in Canada, Neil Swainson. On drums, Alex Deutsch, um, a European fellow, and on trumpet, the great Woody Shaw. And he took this band uh, on a tour of uh, Europe back in 1987. And of course, Woody Shaw passed away in in 1989, and we lost one of the all-time great trumpet players. It was kind of a sad passing for this uh, um, musician who's considered um, the in many respects, the last of a great legacy of trumpet players, beginning with Fats Navarro, uh, into Clifford Brown, into Lee Morgan, um, uh, Freddie Hubbard, and Woody Shaw. And we're going to hear Woody right now. This is a mile, an old Miles Davis composition that he wrote in the 40s called Sippin' at Bells. Here then, Woody Shaw and his, um, well, basically all-Canadian band. Thank you. 
Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Fred Hagee on piano. Neil Swenson on bass. And Alex Deutsch on drums. And very truly yours, Woody Shaw, trumpet. Woody Shaw, of course, that was his voice announcing uh, the members of the band. We heard two pieces recorded uh, over in Europe while they were on tour in February of 1987, two years before Woody's untimely passing. And we heard the first tune was a Miles Davis composition called Sippin' at Bells, and, and a blues with uh, altered chords. And the second piece of music was written by pianist Fred Henke, and that was called The Dragon. Woody Shaw with a couple of great Canadian musicians, Fred Henke on piano and Neil Swainson on bass, and drummer Alex Deutsch. And, of course, the great, late, and sadly lamented Woody Shaw on trumpet. That's from an album called In My Own Sweet Way. We'll hear more from that album uh, on some other show, but we're going to turn our attention to some slow blues right now. This one is written by Avery Parrish, and this became one of the most famous um, blues piano pieces ever made. The original version uh, was by the composer Avery Parrish, and uh, many people... Back in the, uh, uh, because it was written in the 1940s, and many people, and the term Negro was uh, actually a very polite term for black people. It's not used anymore, of course. It's, uh, but uh, um, the, the composition after ours was referred to as the unofficial Negro national anthem <laughs> back then. Anyway. We're going to hear one of the greatest of all piano players do his interpretation of that tune. And I'm talking about one of my all-time favorite pianists, Phineas Newborn, Jr. Here he is with Paul Chambers on bass and Roy Haynes on drums and After Hours. Thank you. 
Phineas Newborn Jr. at the piano with Roy Haynes on drums and Paul Chambers on bass. And that was Avery Parrish's After Hours, one of the great uh, blues piano pieces and uh, Phineas's interpretation of that piece. I think we're going to leave it there tonight because that's it for The Jazz Show on CITR. FM 101.9 on your radio dial. Next week on the jazz feature is Mwandishi. That was the name of the band, and that was his African name, Herbie Hancock. And the Mwandishi band um, was one of the most unique ensembles in, uh, in jazz music. And it was really, um, it was an incredible band that uh, Herbie put together. And again, um, he had uh, come out of the Miles Davis organization. He was involved on a lot of, uh, even after he left Miles Davis, he was involved on several uh, recordings and kind of had that whole uh, feel uh, that Miles had um, established, and Herbie put his personal stamp uh, on that concept and turned it into a, a wonderful band concept. And uh, that's what we're going to hear. It's a, it was a wonderful album that came out on Warner Brothers Records. We're going to hear the whole thing next week on the jazz feature. That's Mondishi by Herbie Hancock and Company. Thank you very much for being out there this evening. On behalf of myself, Gavin Walker, The Jazz Show, CITR, and of course we're on your computer, citr.ca. We'll see you in seven days' time, and we, uh, we start the show with uh, some comment, uh, with our theme, of course, which you're going to hear right now, and uh, some comment by yours truly, and then the jazz feature. So uh, be sure to join us right at uh, 9 every Monday night right here on CITR. Meanwhile, take care of yourselves, have a great time, and see you next week. Bye-bye. Do but do 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 do.
Thank you. 